I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me and open them to the Gospel of John. Well, let's begin our time as we do in a word of prayer, just asking God to illumine our own hearts to the Scriptures. Father, we thank you for what we've learned today. Lord, we are so dependent upon you. Prayer shows us that. It shows us how dependent we are in every way. We know you are a God who creates and who can create from nothing everything. We know your power is infinite, that nothing can thwart it, that you can even stop the sun. You can turn back time. You can make us from nothing. And yet, you choose, as we've even heard tonight by way of testimony, to answer no to even our requests. And sometimes we don't understand all that, but we know that you are good and you are a wonderful God and caring for us in the best way. And so tonight, as you care for us, as you shepherd our souls by your word, give us understanding. Help me to not be stammering and stuttering and unclear. And cause our hearts to resonate with what you would have us to know about Jesus Christ and our life here. So we thank you for these times. Open our minds to the truth. In Christ's name, amen. As we begin our time tonight, I want us to focus our attention on Jesus' answer in John chapter 14 to a statement that Philip makes in chapter 14 and verse 8. And I want to read for us from verse 8 to 21 just to get our minds set back on what is happening. And in many ways, it's very difficult for me personally to leave this text uh, too quickly simply because I, I, I see and can relate really to Philip in so many ways. We were asking about who we related to, uh, I think, last week and uh, in our evening service, and Philip would be one of these people that I relate to. And here's what our text says. And of course, Jesus had said to him in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him obviously implying exactly what he means, that he and the Father are the same. They're one. And Philip, of course, answers. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. I made the comment just a, a minute ago that I I see a lot of myself in Philip. I, I think all of us are a lot like Philip. In the Gospel of John, we come in contact with Philip in a few different places. Just to kind of survey this for a moment, back in chapter 1, we are first introduced to Philip in verse 43. Philip is there sitting in Galilee, and the next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee, that is Jesus, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city where Andrew and Peter were from. So Philip is called to Jesus. He's called to be a follower of Jesus. And then an amazing thing takes place with Philip. He does what all new converts do when they are first transformed, when they are first saved. They cannot wait to tell somebody else. And so the Holy Spirit tells us in verse 45 that Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip is excited. Come and see, Nathaniel. Come and see. We found the promised one. And then you turn over to John chapter 6. This is the next time that we get to see Philip on the scene. You remember what the scene is. Jesus is being hounded by the crowds. It's getting late in the day. Jesus is ministering once again in Galilee. And Jesus turns to Philip and he puts his faith to the test. You notice he says to him in chapter, in chapter 6, in verse 5, Jesus therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing a great multitude was coming, said to him, says to Philip, where are we to buy bread? This is what Philip says to Jesus. Where are we to buy bread that we may eat? Now verse 6 tells us why he said that to Philip. And this he was saying to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answers, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive even a little. The word test, by the way, carries the meaning of a of approving of something. It, it's, it's proving its genuineness or it's proving the reality of it. So it, it's not that Jesus needs to see whether Philip's faith is real or whether Philip really trusts. It's not that Jesus needs to see that. Philip needs to understand the one in whom he is trusting. Philip needs to see his faith in action. Philip needs to understand where his faith lies. He needs to see who Jesus really is. He had faith, but that faith needed to be strengthened. 
needed to be exercised. And the only way it was going to be strengthened was by understanding where his faith was weak. Philip's answer shows his weak faith. Where are we going to come up with all the money to buy enough bread that everyone can have even a little bit? Philip's eyes were like us. They're they're on earthly things. They're on earthly answers. They're on the answers that, that make sense from our viewpoint. But what he needed to understand in greater detail was that God is outside of and controls every detail, even if it doesn't make sense to our eyes. Philip needed to see. Because his answer to Christ shows that he wasn't expecting a miracle to happen. Philip wasn't expecting Jesus to do a miracle, even though Jesus knew what he was going to do. There's a third time we see Philip, and that is over in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, Philip is asked by outsiders if he can take them to see Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 20 and 21, there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast, and these therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip had just witnessed the crowds running up to Jesus. They're shouting blessings upon him. They're proclaiming him to be king of Israel, the king of the Jews. Now there are others asking him to take them to see Christ. It's perplexing to me, and maybe it's odd to you as you think about it. Doesn't it seem rather odd that a person who has followed Jesus for now nearly two plus years, someone who had even witnessed a miracle being done before his very eyes as Jesus feeds the 5,000 with just a few loaves and a few fish, someone who was asked by others to take them to the Lord, he had uh, immediate access to Jesus as a close companion, someone who had faith, Doesn't it surprise you that that would be the one that we see in John chapter 14 who is interrupting Jesus as he's teaching, not with a question, not with a, hey, can you further explain this to us, not with some curiosity as to maybe the nuances of what was going on, but with a request for a sign. Lord, Show us the Father, and that'll be enough. You know, there's something that he might be able to hold on to physically. Something that was tangible. Something that he could see. And then he would be assured of the direction that he was to take. Far too often I see myself right there. And I think before we are too quick to answer... I think we need to think about what Philip is like. Because in essence, Philip is saying, Lord, if you would just show us the Father, then we could do really good things. We could do really great things, in fact. It would make it so much easier for us to follow what you have said 
if you just give us something tangible to hang on to, something we could see, it would make it a whole lot easier for us to do what we need to do. It seems rather strange to us as we look at it from the outside. We often say of Philip, oh, Philip, 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 you have little faith, come on. I mean, after all, you've walked with Jesus. After all, you've seen what you've seen. After all, you've talked with Him. You've lounged with Him. You're just little in your faith. You know that Jesus is God in the flesh. Come on, just trust Him. That's what we say. And yet, when trouble comes, we do exactly the same thing as Philip. We know that God has called us, just like Philip in chapter 1, verse 43. We've seen him work in miraculous ways. You say, how so? Because we've seen the changed lives right before our very eyes of every single person that we've ever known before Christ who have now come to Christ whose lives have been completely changed by Christ. And when trouble hits, when God allows difficulty to come, when the flames get hot and we have no human way to escape to our place of comfort, what do we do? Sadly, we respond like Philip. We ask God for a sign. Give me something tangible. Give me something to hold to so that I might know I'm heading in the right direction. Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I, I want to do what you want me to do, but how can I follow you when, when I don't see it? How can I follow you? This is Philip's question. How can we follow you, Jesus, when you're gone? How, how do I walk when I can't see the path with my eyes? If I just had the answers, then I would be satisfied. So Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. And you know what? You know what I'm learning as I often walk through difficult times in my own life, difficult times in ministry and in, in the church? I'm learning that all the requests I make to God in my own weakness of faith could never be truly satisfied through more tangible anchors given by God than the tangible anchor of just simply knowing Christ. The only satisfaction that God needs to provide us is what He has already provided. He, in essence, is saying the same thing that He spoke to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Jesus is saying the very same thing to these men in John chapter 14 that He, that, that he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12. My grace is is sufficient. That's exactly what Jesus is telling Philip. My grace is sufficient for you. Have I been with you so long and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say? Show us the Father. Jesus is saying, I'm sufficient. We, we know what sufficient means. It means it's all we need. It is sufficient. It's all we need. Now, I don't know about you, but that is 
in a very practical way, very hard to digest. God is all we need. When I'm struggling with an issue, it is very hard for me to allow that spiritual truth to rule the very practical aspects of my life. Somebody said a two-word prayer is a good prayer, and I would agree with that. I'm trying to trying to incorporate something in my, my own verbiage, my own life, preaching to myself all the time with these words. It is as the Lord would have it. It is as the Lord would have it. This is what Philip is struggling with. And to educate Philip and to educate his faith and to strengthen his faith, Christ first reveals the weaknesses and then provides the guidance through which his faith is going to be strengthened. And so there are three realities here that must be settled, that we must that must be exercised, if we can think of them in those terms. Three realities that we have to have settled and that we must exercise in times like these that are going to strengthen our faith. Three realities our faith must grasp. The first reality is this. The infinite in the infinite. I did not make a mistake. The infinite in the infinite. We talked about this last time when we looked at verses 10 and 11, but I'll talk about it again, right? We must know who Jesus Christ is. Jesus says in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. The infinite in the infinite. Jesus and the Father are one. The Son in the Father, the Father in the Son. It is that divine expression of equality of essence. The very God of very gods. Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 38, I and the Father are one. These are the very words of Jesus Christ and they pick up stones and want to kill Him. John chapter 10, verse 38, But if I do them, or verse 37, If I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. In other words, the things that I do, no one does except the Father. The Father is the only one who can do those things. Therefore, if I am doing them, I and the Father are one. There is no separation. It is the infinite in the infinite. Chapter 17. Turn over there for just a moment. Chapter 17, verse 21. There is this very prayer of Christ for us. The purpose for this request is so that the world might see a unified body, a people, the body of Christ, a people of God, and they might see the people of God and thereby bring glory to the Father. John chapter 17, verse 21, right? 
or verse, I'll begin in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, that is these men who are right here, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you did send. Jesus says in verse 10 of chapter 14, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? He's stressing this point. That not only are His words not literally from Himself, but also the works are a result of the Father working in and through Him. He and the Father are one, infinite in the infinite. This then is the command of verse 11. Believe me. Believe me. Believe that I am the outward manifestation of the infinite within the infinite. Don't say you believe all the while staggering your way through unbelief. Don't do that. Be fully persuaded so that you walk according to that belief. Believe me, he says. This is what God-given faith does. This is why faith must be from God. Man, human-produced ideas of faith and trust don't last. Only God-given faith lasts, and only God-given faith believes in what it cannot see. Faith walks. Faith is exercised when trouble comes. Faith is strengthened by difficulty, turmoil. And it isn't enough just to know God's Word. It isn't enough just for us to be able to quote verses. When Jesus says, look to what I have done, hold on to that. Yes, Jesus says, I am God, but, but, but He doesn't just leave it there. He says, listen, believe that, but also believe what I've done. I haven't left you without a witness. I've done works. In other words, don't, don't waver in unbelief, Philip. Don't waver in unbelief, Christian. Don't think that God has given up on you because He hasn't. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Do you really believe that? And Jesus is saying, then walk as if you do. Walk as if you do believe it. Well, that's the first thing. We have to exercise. We have to have that solid in our mind, the infinite in the infinite. God of very gods, Jesus and the Father are one. There's a second reality that has to be settled and exercised upon times like these. And it is this. Not only do we trust in who Christ is, that He is God, but we also understand that our sufficiency lies in His power. Our sufficiency lies in His power. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do shall He also do, and greater than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. It's hard for us, I think, to understand just what is meant by this statement. 
And throughout the years in Christendom, this statement has caused many to have confusion. But I believe that we can understand it when we focus on the last phrase, because I go to the Father. In other words, the reason I can say what I've said in the first part of this sentence by Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works he shall also do, and greater works. Why? Because I go to the Father. This is the reason that we will do these things. This is the key phrase, because what took place when Jesus went to the Father? The Holy Spirit came. In fact, he even tells us about that. And I will ask the Father, verse 16, and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. Well, who is that? The Spirit, verse 17, of truth. And what was the work of the Father now has been passed on to all who have the Spirit. So it isn't just Jesus Christ out doing the work. Now it's His body doing the work. In other words, as we think of the disciples, It was the Spirit who completely changed this frightened group of men who all scattered the moment Jesus gets arrested, these cowering men. It changed them into those of this single-minded, focused band of gospel warriors who went out to reach the known world for Christ. You and I know Jesus Christ because of these men. We stand on their shoulders. The utter impact of just their proclamation of the gospel reached farther than any of them would or could have ever imagined. When Jesus says, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he also do. That's what he's talking about. Gospel proclamation ministry. And greater works than these he shall do. Even Christ Himself was limited in influence. He never preached outside ancient Palestine. But under the ministry of these men equipped by the Spirit, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, the rest of the world have been affected by the Gospel and it's still being affected today. And by way of implication... Although our work is the same as Christ when He walked this earth, to go and to tell others of Him, our works are even greater now than His as since He has gone to the Father because wherever we go, God is with us there. We have the Spirit. What the disciples thought would happen when Christ was to leave would not come to fruition as they thought. See, they thought they would be reduced to nothingness. They thought they would be run over, that the the Roman government would come and squash them. They thought Jesus was about to take His kingdom. They thought all of that was going to happen, but that never happened, nor did the other thing happen. They would not be reduced to nothingness. In fact, just the opposite would take place. Their influence would be all the more far-reaching. So here's part of the implication that this text is teaching us. 
our faith can be strengthened. And God's grace is sufficient for us. Even when we doubt that it is. We have to exercise the faith that He gave us by knowing that Christ is God, by understanding that through our relationship with Christ, our potential influence for Christ is exponentially greater. And there's a third. We always have access to God. The infinite in the infinite, Christ is God. The reality that our sufficiency is always in His power. And third, we always have access to God. Notice verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus answers our prayers because He's glorifying the Father. Not because He's simply answering our prayers. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This truly is the whole point, isn't it? Trouble keeps us dependent upon the Lord. Difficulty keeps us running back to the Lord. It's hard for us, I think, to accept at times, especially when we're facing trouble and difficulty. Because the tendency of our own flesh is just to say, I just want it over. I just want it to end. It would be great if whatever it is that we're having to go through would just be over. If all the anxiety would be gone. It's kind of ironic we sang that song this morning. The difficulty was right in front of the disciples. They're facing a very difficult time. Jesus knows that. They had left everything to follow Christ. They had turned their backs on their old life. He had fed them. At one point, He even paid their tax bill. Whatever it was they truly needed, He provided. Now He's leaving. Jesus says to them, but you'll still have access to me. You'll still have access to me. Depend upon me. Depend upon me. Ask from me. Ask from me. But I want us to notice something because this is where some have gone astray. Because this is not some kind of get anything you want kind of principle. Prayer doesn't work like that, does it? Get anything you want. It doesn't work like that. It's true that we can ask for whatever we want. That doesn't mean God's obligated to grant it. We heard that testimony even tonight. Twice Christ says, ask in my name. Whatever you ask in my name, verse 13, verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name. What does that mean? What does that mean, ask in my name? Is that why we say in our prayers, in Jesus' name, at the end of our prayer? Do we think that if that's added to our prayers, that God is somehow now obligated to give us whatever we've asked for? 
Certainly that can't be the case. We ask in his name a lot of times and he doesn't give us what we ask for. In fact, the Apostle Paul asked three times for the trouble that was plaguing him to be taken away and God said what? No. No, my grace is sufficient for you. So so what does it mean then? What does ask in my name mean? Well, look at verse 26. But the helper... We know who that is. That's the Spirit of Truth, verse 17 tells us. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Interesting. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now we gain an understanding here because the phrase is used right there again in verse 26. The Spirit, whom the Father sends in the name of Christ. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father in the name of Christ. We ask in the name of Christ. In other words, the Spirit was sent as the indwelling representative of Christ. We have Christ in us. That's what it says. And you believe Jesus Christ by faith, Christ dwells in you. So the phrase, in His name, is equal to saying that very person we are representing is asking this. So when we ask in His name, we are saying we are asking as if Christ is asking this. Our asking is to be as if we were just what Christ wants. All that Christ stands for. All that Christ would be asking the Father for. Some people say, well, good, I'm going to ask God to give me a nice new brand new Cadillac. Christ wouldn't ask for that. So listen, our prayers are to reflect who Christ is, who He is, not what we want. It is to reflect Christ, to reflect Him, to reflect His name. His name represents everything about Him. Remember, the essence of who God is is seen through the reflection of His character. The glory of God is reflected. It is His character on display. That's His essence. So when we pray in His name, we are praying only for what is consistent with His perfect character. That is what Jesus is saying. Whatever you ask that is consistent with my perfect character and who I am, that I will do so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. So if you ask me anything according to my perfect character and who I am and all of my essence, I will do it. I will do it. It is only that kind of prayer that God will act upon. In that kind of way. It is that kind of prayer that Christ says, I will do. Why? Because it is that kind of prayer that brings glory to the Father. That kind of prayer implies that we are acknowledging all that He has done and is doing in the current circumstance of whatever it is He is allowing us to go through and that we are willingly submitting to His will in it. You say, why would you say that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did His entire ministry. 
Jesus always did what the Father asked. He always did what was the Father. He didn't even speak, verse 10 says, on His own initiative. Whatever He said was the Father. Whatever He did was the Father. And He says, if you ask according to that same reality, I'll do it. When we do that, we can be guaranteed that God will do it. He always does what the Son desires because the Son always desires to glorify the Father. One author said it this way, quote, His concern for His own, talking about Jesus, talking about God, His concern for His own transcends all circumstances. So that, like the words of Paul, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philip, you don't need any tangible anchor. You have me. I'm God. I'm sufficient for you. You can ask me whatever according to who I am and I will do it for you, Philip. I want to mention one last thing as we close our time tonight because we've spoken a lot about what Christ does for us. There's a certain shared action here in these verses. While it's true that Christ will do what we ask when we ask according to who He is. It is just as true that we must do what He asks. Notice verse 15. If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. Love for Christ is not mere sentiment. It's not mere words. It isn't a false spiritual attitude. It isn't lip service. Love for Christ is seen in action. It's seen in action. It is seen and known when we actually do what He says. What has He said for us to do? What has He commanded for us to do in this very text? Verse 11, believe me. Believe me. In other words, trust me. Trust who I am. Trust my sufficiency. Trust that I'm not leaving you without the things you need. Trust me. That's the command. We know that we love Him when we actually do trust Him. Believe Him. When we actually live by faith, when we are not wavering in unbelief, wondering if God's actually going to do what He said He's going to do, we are actually loving Christ. My prayer for myself and for us as a church that we would all exercise our faith like this. 
I pray that Christ will make all of us one in these things so that the world might see Jesus Christ in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for our time tonight, for this reminder about faith, this reminder to the disciples and a reminder to us of what it means really to believe. You have commanded that of us. Help us to believe. Strengthen our unbelief. Where we are weak, we need to be strong. And that strength is in You. Help us to pray as we ought. To set our requests before You according to the character of Your very nature. Knowing that You will answer our prayers because You have promised to. Thank You for the indwelling Spirit whereby we can do what You have asked. We thank You that the ministry of the Gospel spreads far and wide, far and wider than anything was ever accomplished, even when you were on this earth, because you have gone to the Father. The Spirit has been given to us that we might go to all of the remotest parts of the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the unity of this body, for the fellowship of the brethren, the reality that we can grow together and walk together in these things through encouragement and exhortation and love. Thank you for the example that others have shown us by their faithfulness to you. May we be the same. In Christ's name, amen.